good either. Hang on. Oh, you hear me? Okay, Will Jeans hears me, hears me now. Okay, there we are. We are off and rolling. And so I, I realized that, man, life is not fair because some kids can, can get math and it's easy for them and some can't. Life is just not fair. When the Presidential Physical Fitness Awards came around, we ran the 50-yard dash at that point in time. And life was not fair because some kids could get out and they could run that and some of them uh, really struggled with even getting down that 50 yards. Uh, it was really hard on them. Life was not fair in terms of how um, uh, the abilities that people had. Uh, as I got older, I noticed that some people had an abundance when others wrestled with just having the basics. In some ways, I realized that life was not fair. And we could go on and on and on. And we understand that, is that life is just not fair sometimes. And, and that's hard for us to wrestle with. Um, but I think, I don't know that anybody has had it quite like Joseph has had it. And in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, we have the story of Joseph. And Joseph, if I was to pick a top five of of spiritual heroes for me. I believe that Joseph would be part of that because Joseph shows us some things maybe better than anyone else in all of Scripture. Um, And we're going to talk about some of that. Joseph was a young man, and he had a bunch of brothers. And he, because he was born uh, late in life to his father, he became the favorite child. I just love this little guy. He's wonderful. And gave him a coat that all the rest of the brothers didn't get. And at this point in time, he has ten older brothers. So just imagine what happens. Just put yourself in this, in this guy's position. You have ten older brothers, and all of them are making do. You're, they're working, all of that. And then your dad comes out of nowhere and says, Here, here is your organically, locally sourced Patagonia jacket, and you get this, and nobody else does. What do you think the older brothers are going to be thinking at that point in time? Wait a minute. How come our little brother gets that jacket and the rest of us don't? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And Joseph, to make matters worse, he has these dreams from God. He has these dreams. One of them is he and his brothers are out and they're, they're harvesting and they take the wheat and they put them in bundles. And Joseph's wheat stands over here in the bundle, nice and straight, and all the rest of them have this bun- their bundles of wheat bow down to his bundle of wheat. So what Joseph does is he goes to his brothers and says, hey, guess what my dream was? You guys are going to bow down to me someday. And they're like, whatever, come on, man, that's not, that's not happening. He has a similar dream dealing with the stars and the sun and the moon. And he tells his parents about it, tells his brothers, and they're like, oh, whatever, you know, you're not going to bow down to you. But learning about that dream didn't cause a lot of um, uh, you know, great family warm and fuzzies. And a while later, what Joseph, as the text continues, Joseph goes out to see how his brothers are doing out in the field. And apparently he has brought back a bad report for them to his father at one point in time. Hey, big brothers aren't doing their job. They're not being good shepherds. And Joseph goes out there to see his brothers. And the brothers see him coming and say, wait a minute, here comes that dreamer. Let's put the end to his dreams and let's kill him. And then we know that we'll never bow down to him. That sounds like a great plan. And there's some discussion and there's some dissension within the brothers there. Ultimately, what they decide to do is this caravan is coming by and they sell their little brother into slavery. 
They get a little bit of silver for him, and they send him off. You can imagine, see you, brother. Hope your dreams come true. Hope everything's great. And they expect to never see their little brother again. And so Joseph, he has had these dreams from God, and, and maybe he's showing a little bit of arrogance in sharing those dreams. It's hard to tell. But what happens is the response of Joseph's brothers is, I think all of us would agree, completely disproportionate. Their response is huge. Okay, you're going to have these dreams. You're going to say weird stuff. We're going to sell you into slavery. Okay, that's, that's pretty disproportionate. Life isn't fair. Joseph is sold into slavery, and you see the hand of God in this as he lands with an owner that is the captain of the guard that protects Pharaoh. And Joseph, it says, because God was with him, he excelled in everything he did. And so as Joseph is overseeing, eventually overseeing the house of a man named Potiphar, it says that he, just everything he touched was, was, did well, and Potiphar did not concern himself with anything. Potiphar was able to focus on his role that the Pharaoh gave him and allow Joseph to oversee his house, and he came home to hot meals, he came home to clean house. Everyone was happy. But something about Joseph... It says he was young and well-built and handsome. Potiphar's wife recognized Joseph and said, Hey, Joseph, why don't you come to bed with me? You're hot. Come on. And Joseph's like, "Uh Uh-uh, no, mm -mm, not doing that. And he says, How could I sin before God by doing something as terrible as this? And Potiphar's wife will not let it go, and she will not give up. And this is in the Bible... No, it's, it's one of these things you're reading and think, oh, man, this is, this is kind of racy here. This, this is not fun to read. And so Joseph is, he can't just up and move. Um, he can't uh, take an office down the hall. He can't change his life up like this. So he is doing whatever he can to try to avoid her. Here she comes, and Joseph goes over here, and this carries on for a while. Well, Joseph is in the house at one point in time, and she ambushes him and comes and grabs his his coat and says Joseph come to bed with me and he runs and she hangs on to the coat and Joseph just leaves and so she starts crying and gets the other servants to come in and says look this we brought this young Hebrew into our house and yet he is abusing us he tried to take advantage of me and I screamed and and he ran and left his coat here Potiphar comes home, and it says Potiphar was filled with anger. And Joseph is placed in prison at this point in time. And so you see with Joseph is there's this roller coaster of experiences that happen. It seems like God shares something to him in a dream. He shares that with his brothers, and he is sold into slavery because of it. He is successful in Potiphar's household, and because of that success, he is repaid with throwing in, being thrown into prison. And knowing, not knowing when his last meal is going to be, not knowing if he is going to live to see tomorrow. And Joseph finds himself in this terrible situation. Tough deal. What would you be feeling or what would you be thinking if those type of unfair things happened to you? Joseph, while he is in prison, the story continues. And there's uh, two servants of Pharaoh that have offended him that are there in prison with Joseph. They have these dreams. And Joseph is given the opportunity and the ability by God to interpret those dreams. And he does so, and one of the cupbearer, uh, one of Pharaoh's servants, is restored to his old position. And Joseph said, don't forget about me. 
And the text says that as soon as the cupbearer left, he forgot all about Joseph. Two more years go by. You're sitting there in prison for two more years, and your only hope of getting out is someone who has forgotten completely about you. Well, as time goes on, Pharaoh has two dreams, and these dreams terrify him. He's scared. And he shares the dreams and with his advisors, and nobody seems to understand what they mean. And here's the cupbearer standing over there. And the cupbearer, they were very important servants because the, oftentimes if you wanted to eliminate a monarch, you did it by poisoning. So the cupbearer would taste everything, make sure everything is okay, and then give it to the monarch or the king. And so oftentimes cupbearers became good friends, close confidants, because they were around the... Uh, the royal family so much. And so here's Pharaoh. Oh man, I've got these dreams. I don't know what it means, but this is real. I know this is a dream from the gods, as he would have said. And uh, there's the cupbearer over there in the corner. Oh no. Oh no. And he says, Pharaoh, I am reminded today of my shortcomings. When I was in prison years ago, I had a dream and there was a young man that interpreted it for me. And they say... The text says they went and got Joseph immediately, brought him out there. He had to change clothes and shave first. Apparently he had quite a beard at that point. They brought him into Pharaoh's presence. And Joseph says, I can't interpret this dream, but God can, and he will give you the answer that you desire. And the result of these dreams is, as Pharaoh hears from Joseph, that there's going to be all this, these years of abundance, seven years of great, phenomenal abundance in the land. And then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine, so bad that everyone's going to forget about the great abundance. It's going to be terrible. And so as um, Pharaoh is listening to this, Joseph says, need to find somebody who can go throughout the land, who can manage Egypt and prepare for this great famine that's going to happen. And Pharaoh says, all right, that sounds great. That's a great idea. Who's going to be better at that than you? Joseph, you're it, and I'm going to put you in that position. So in a day, in a matter of hours, Joseph goes from being in prison, never knowing when he's going to come out, to being an overseer of Egypt. Now, Joseph learned a lot along the way, somewhere, somehow. He learned because he managed Potiphar's house. He managed, it says, the things that happened in the prison. And so when Joseph is elevated to the manager of Egypt, God has prepared him very clearly up to this point in time. Do you see this up and down? Joseph experiences some things that were not fair at all. And Joseph could have become really bitter. That's something that strikes me. Every time I look at the story of Joseph, I think about how bitter he could have become. And this isn't one of these situations that you see in Scripture that uh, we talk uh, Proverbs talks about how we can sin and then we rage against God and we rage against others and we blame it on every, everybody else. It's not a situation where someone has too much to drink and then gets in an accident and says, why would God allow something like this to happen? Well, you drank too much. That's why it happened. You know, but, but oftentimes we as people don't accept our own responsibility. Or maybe if we have an anger problem or a lying problem and it hurts the people around us and we drive them away, yet we are unwilling to see our own fault and we say, why did God allow this to happen? And, and we're, we're unwilling to see that. It isn't one of those situations. It isn't like that. What we see from Joseph is that Joseph didn't do wrong, but yet wrong was paid to him 
anyway. And Joseph could have been one in those times where he is on his way to Egypt, being sold by his brothers. He could have raged. He could have got angry. He could have got bitter. He could have blamed his brothers. He could have blamed God and screamed out to God and and done all sorts of self-destructive stuff. But something else happened. And when he gets to Egypt, he is sold into a place where he can thrive. Not only survive, but thrive. And we see the same thing is when he is sitting in prison after the incident with Potiphar's wife. He could have said, God, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know where you are. I'm trying to do right, and here all of this is happening to me. He could have gone down and become bitter, blamed others, blamed God, self-destructed, all that sort of stuff. But what we see from Joseph is something very, very different. Joseph was treated completely unfairly. He could have, maybe more than, more than most in our, in our world, say, this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. But we detect from Joseph no bitterness anywhere. In fact, uh, what we see from Joseph is what we call perseverance. Now, here's the definition of perseverance. This is how he survived. This comes from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. A continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. In other words, the willingness to not give up and keep going. Or the quality that allows someone to continue trying to do something even though it's difficult. Now, we practice perseverance a lot in life, right? Uh, if, anybody's, if you've ever been an athlete, you know that, that being an athlete takes perseverance, right? You have to learn to overcome obstacles in order to just try to keep going forward and, and push. If a, a person goes to college for something like medicine, where it's a long program, it takes a lot of perseverance that I have to get up every morning and I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep doing it. Has anybody here ever built their own house? Okay, that takes perseverance, right? Because you have to think, man, I've got to keep going even though I don't want to, even though I'd rather just sit down. I've got to keep going. I've got to build this. If you've been married, marriage takes perseverance, doesn't it? Oh, man, it takes perseverance. Oh, I shouldn't have said, oh, man, my wife's here. She's going to give me a lecture now. No, I'm kidding. She's not. It's all good. Marriage takes perseverance, doesn't it? And I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep doing good. I'm going to stay in this relationship, even though sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult. Because what allows us to have perseverance is there has to be a motive that somewhere, somehow, we see on the other end something is much in these more these difficult times right now. If a person is going to medical school, someday I'm going to be a doctor and it's all going to be worth it. If someone is running the 400, they think some point... I'm going to get to the end, and it's all going to be worth it, and it's going to feel great. If they're building a house, I'm going to get to the end. It's going to be worth it, all of that. And Joseph shows the why when years later his brothers come and ask to buy food. And they go back and forth a few times, and Joseph uses the opportunity to be able to teach them some things that are very important. But Joseph, to his brothers who had sold him into slavery who had, I imagine, taunted him as he was being led away as a young man. There they are years later, bowing down before him, asking for food. And Joseph says, as they are terrified, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. In other words, you see what Joseph does here? He says, I hold no bitterness for you. I hold no anger towards you. 
But I know what has happened here is that God has worked through your sinfulness, through your evil, to do some really, really good stuff. And it says that Joseph wept, and his brothers, he gathered them around, says, come on, come on tight, come on here, we're brothers. It's okay, it's all right. What you meant for evil, God used for good, and it's okay. Now, Joseph, in those times where he had a lot of time to think, and he had a lot of time to reflect, boy, he could have gotten bitter. Can you see how he could have gotten bitter? Could have gotten angry because life isn't fair. But Joseph said, no, I'm going to learn perseverance because somewhere, somehow, God is in this and he is making something great out of this. And it's going to be all right. He saw God's hand in his suffering. And when God is our motive, when we, whenever we suffer, we don't push God off to the side but bring him in close. What happens is God teaches us some things that are very important. See some scriptures here in, in James. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay, I, I, t- I wrestle with that. Okay, how many of you wrestle with that, that right there? Okay, because there's something there that is tough for us to understand because our natural reaction is whenever there is sufferings or trials of any kind, our natural reaction is to push back and say, no, no, I don't want this. This isn't right. God, come on, you're supposed to bless me. You're supposed to give me all. No, this isn't, this isn't how things are supposed to be. And James says, no, wait a minute here. Consider it joy. When there's difficult times come, you need to stop. You need to call a time out here. Joseph learned this. When things are not fair, call a time out and look deeply. Say, how can God use this for something good? Maybe God is trying to teach me something here that I need to learn because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, what God is interested in is not having a bunch of servants that are just, gimme, 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 God, here we are. I Just give me whatever I want so that I can be comfortable here, comfortable here in the next life. And that. But God is saying, no, 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 no that's, that's not what I want for you. That's not good for you. What I want for you is that these difficult times that you may face in life, that I use them to transform you to be something amazing and wonderful. As that sinful nature gets pushed aside and gets pushed out and gets cleaned out, but you become something amazing because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that perseverance is that that quality that when someone close to you or the people around you decide, hey, forget this, I'm out, I'm going to bail on God, you say... You can do whatever you choose, but I will not. It doesn't matter how tough things get. It doesn't matter how bad things get. It doesn't matter how unfair life is. It doesn't matter how someone who calls himself a Christian might treat you in a way that does not honor God. You say, it changes nothing for me because God is still God. It does not change what Jesus did for me. And forward I go honoring God. That's what perseverance is about. That's what Joseph learned. And it takes suffering. There's no shortcut to be able to learn that type of grit. Okay, that's a great word to, to describe it in, in English. In Italian, they have another word, grinta. And that's just, you know, that, it's just that strength to overcome whatever may, we may face. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If we bail whenever suffering comes, then we do not become this finished product that God wants for us. We don't learn this perseverance that leads to mature and complete Christians, right? You look around us, 
the people that have gray hair. They're people that have said, I will not quit when things get difficult. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to bail when family members may bail or when friends bail or when things get tough or something. I am going to continue no matter what. Thank you for your example. That's, you're learning this. You're showing it to those who are younger. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, wisdom is, helps us learn perseverance without having to learn the hardest lessons, right? Is that we just ask for wisdom instead of um, God having to teach us in, in, um, in the, the hard way. You skip down a few verses. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the end goal. This is the motivation. Somewhere, those dreams that Joseph must have had early on helped define him, saying, even though I can't see it now, even though I wrestle with what, is, what were these dreams about years ago that I shared with my family, probably shouldn't have shared them, but what were those dreams? When are they going to come true? When is it all going to happen? And it doesn't happen for decades. And here you have, somewhere deep down, Joseph understanding, I will not give up and get bitter. I'm not going to do it. And for us, we know as Christians that perseverance is one of those qualities that's important to take us to launch us into eternity. All of us who have been around a while know people that have become Christians at some point in time and said, forget it, I'm out, I bail, because any number of reasons. But sufferings happen to teach us to not do that, to stay in there like Joseph and not only stay in there but not get bitter in the process. Here's another passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And what a beautiful passage here is that just as gold is refined into something beautiful, it still burns up and it's still gone at some point in time. But I appreciate what David's thoughts here is, is that we're building something eternal, right? That's what we are doing as the church here, is we're building something eternal that maybe someday this building will fall over or whatever. But the spiritual fruit that we are producing right now and Lord willing produce over the next years will still have effects hundreds, thousands of years ago, however long until Jesus returns. That's the stuff that's eternal. That's the stuff that... that that matters. Gold, this gold ring that I wear, it'll wear out some point in time. It'll dissolve. But the spiritual us endures. Man, you see what's happening here? God did an amazing work in Joseph, and he wants to do an amazing work in each one of us in the same way. So here's uh, something to think about. Dreams, perseverance, and deliverance. Um, I'm going to share something that I uh, um, that I, I heard on the radio the other day, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of background here. Uh, this is a song that I was listening to, 100.7, and I heard this song come up. Now, those are your locals. 100.7 is what? What's that? Yeah, that's the country station, local country station, local DJs that are here. And so I tend to listen to country and 80s and 90s hair bands, okay? 
That my wife doesn't. Okay. So my wife and I have very different tastes in music, and we've been married almost 20 years, and and we've uh, managed to to learn to to navigate each other, even though there's small overlap in our musical tastes and that. When I'm by myself, I listen to um, oftentimes 100.7. And this is, uh, I'm going to read some lyrics here of a song that uh, I was listening to, and and, uh, it just, uh, uh, it got me a little bit. It's a song by Lainey Wilson called Things a Man Ought to Know. And she starts off, and I can hardly read these lyrics without singing this in my head. And she says, I can hook a trailer on a two-inch hitch. I can shoot a shotgun. I can catch a fish. I can catch a tire. I can change a tire on the side of the road. Yeah, I know a few things a man ought to know. How to know when it's love, how to stay when it's tough, how to know you're messing up a good thing, and how to fix it before it's too late. And yeah, I know a boy who gave up and got it wrong. If you really love a woman, you don't let her go. Yeah, I know a few things a man ought to know. And he could, come on, this isn't that emotional. I mean, this, it's September. My, anyway, my allergies should be gone by now, right? Anyway, here it is. I appreciate those words because what she's saying is, now, there's a few things that I know that a man ought to know. I know how to you know, put a trailer on a two-inch hitch, and I need a shotgun, I can catch a fish. How many of you guys, you ladies, know how to shoot a shotgun, catch a fish? Yeah, all right. Yeah, stay out of Beverly's way, right? She's got it all. Yep, she knows it all. Change a tire, anything, whatever. Beverly can do it, right? She says, but I know a boy who gave up and got it wrong. All of us know people at times that have given up and got it wrong. When times of life is unfair, times of suffering came, they said, I quit, I'm out, I bail. And did not allow God long enough time to say, I'm working through this to help refine you, to help change you, to help make you into something amazing. And bailed too quick. And we can learn from those examples to say, I don't want to be that. Right? And what we, an example that we see from Joseph is whenever times may seem like they are unfair, when the person next to us seems like they are blessed beyond measure, and boy, I am trying my best, and it seems like everywhere I turn, there's obstacles, and everywhere I turn, things are a failure, and I look like I'm doing terrible. Maybe right then, right then, those are the moments that are most important where we need to dig deep and say, all right, God, here it is. I look like I'm just floundering, and people around me have all it going on, and I don't. God, teach me what I need to know. Help me to go deep and help me to do right no matter what. And somewhere, probably many times in Joseph's life, he had to come face to face with that. I know God's got a plan here. I know God's working. And my job is to be faithful right now. Even though I don't feel even though I want to get bitter, I want to scream out to God, I want to do all of that, I'm going to do right and be faithful right now. My prayer is that every one of us makes that decision that no matter what anybody else does around us, I, you, each one of us individually, we're going to be part of the solution. We're going to be part of 
the faithfulness to say, I'm going to be a blessing no matter what happens. That's what Joseph learned. And that allowed him to not carry bitterness, allowed him to easily forgive his brothers when he saw them again, because he knew that God was working somewhere. Good message for all of us. Whenever you need to think about, boy, should I forgive? How do I forgive? How do I survive? How do I keep going when times are tough? How do I experience unfairness? How do I respond to that? Start in Genesis 37 and read through Genesis 50. You're going to see a beautiful, wonderful example of it in Joseph that will get you going again. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are waiting in the back to, to pray with you, to talk with you. Let's stand and sing together. I'm not sure what happened. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.